But this time I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, I'll begin reading at verse 8 through chapter 14, verse 12. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 12 will be my sermon text for this morning. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,127. 1,127. Let us not hear God's word. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall, not, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment, fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all, day, all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we look at God's word together. Let us go before him in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That you would perform heart surgery on us. So that we may see the wonders written in your word. And be changed by your word and spirit. Grant us, O oh Lord, strong faith 
faith to see that the merits of Christ are sufficient and have infinite worth and that we can rely and depend and trust in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, it is the Christian's duty to love thy neighbor, love your neighbor. To love your neighbor, Paul says, is the fulfilling of God's law. We are morally obligated to love one another. Morally obligated. That's important. It's our responsibility to never stop loving one another. In fact, we owe it, Paul says, to one another, to love one another. Because we can never pay the debt of love to another. We always owe it to somebody. We can never pay the debt of love, especially when we consider the love of Christ for us. His infinite, glorious love for us. The depth and breadth of his love for us. And many ways in which we show that love for one another is this, welcome one another. You notice the transition in the passage from love thy neighbor as thyself, love your neighbor as yourself, to then welcome one another. It's an important transition. Literally, it's accept one another. Welcome one another into the fellowship, the close relational intimate fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it's more than just welcoming somebody. Oh, welcome to my house. I'm glad you're here. Why don't you hang out a while? To welcome somebody or accept somebody in these terms of what Paul is speaking is to embrace them as brother and sister. To embrace them as family. As family. Paul devotes a significant portion to welcoming one another. For the purpose of having harmony, unity, and peace within the body of Christ. Look with me in your Bible. Chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. God, has, God welcomes the strong, and God welcomes the weak. Now go with me to chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now go to verse 7 of chapter 15. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here we have a bookends. Paul commits a large portion of this letter, a chapter and a half, devoted to welcoming one another, welcoming both the weak and the strong in faith. Because of his great love for us, Christ died for us and welcomes us and receives us into the fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So too you must welcome or accept or receive one another. You are obligated, morally obligated to do so. How does a community of faith, however, Listen carefully. How does a community of faith with a common confession of faith, that is, they, we believe the same doctrinal truths, 
but in terms of practicing the Christian faith, as we'll see in this passage. Different practices of the Christian faith. How does a community of faith dwell in unity and peace when the practices may look differently, but the confession of faith is the same? Listen, we come from different backgrounds. (laughs) You're different than the person next to you. Not only that, we're all sinners, and all sinners are coming together and have become one in Christ and become one, united to one another. We're just a hodgepodge of sinners coming together, bought by the blood of Christ. How does the church keep peace and unity and harmony? How do we receive or welcome one another, regardless of the way we practice our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to make it clear here that for Paul, what he's saying here is that the, both the weak in faith and the strong in faith are justified by grace through faith in Christ. Both the strong and the weak are Christians. That alone should tell us a lot and how we keep unity and peace and harmony and how we welcome one another in the name of the Lord. Paul here is not dealing with matters of indifference. Food, drink, days. There's nothing evil in and of themselves. In fact, they're good gifts from God. Paul's dealing with the human conscience, the Christian conscience. The weak in faith with a weak conscience and the strong in faith with a strong conscience. And we need to welcome one another, accept one another and where they're at in their relationship with the Lord and how they practice the Christian faith. I want to look first at welcome the weak in faith. Paul commands the church in Rome to welcome the weak brother, weak sister in faith. Paul says this for the weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't welcome him with the purpose to quarrel and have disputes with him. Don't welcome him to aggressively attack him because his practice of the Christian faith may seem ludicrous to you or just downright dumb. Don't demean the weak in faith. Who are these weak in faith? Who are they? Why are they weak in faith? Who are these weak? In short, we're not quite sure. Many interpreters believe that the weak in faith were the Jews who left Judaism and became Christians, but still embraced the dietary laws in the Old Testament, some of the ceremonial laws, some of the festival days that are in the Old Testament. Remember, these weak in faith believe in the Lord Jesus, but these interpreters believe that they're holding on to these 
dietary laws and these festive days prescribed in the Old Testament. Paul, however, here describes the weak in faith as those who abstain from meat and eat vegetables only. The Old Testament doesn't have dietary laws that say you cannot eat meat, just certain kinds of meat you couldn't eat. But these weak in faith are those who don't eat meat at all. The Jews ate meat, just not certain kinds. Some interpreters believe that the weak in faith are Jews and Gentiles who abstain from meat and drink that are sacrificed to idols. You may recall in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the weak in faith, Paul says, could not eat meat sacrificed to idols. It affected their, what? Conscience. Because of their conscience, they could not eat the meat or drink sacrificed to idols. But the strong could eat it because they knew that idols are nothing. Their conscience wasn't seared. Their conscience wasn't placing a guilt upon them. These Jews and Gentiles, however, in 1 Corinthians 8, abstained only from meat and drink sacrificed to idols. Paul doesn't say in chapter 14 of Romans that they abstain from all meats and drinks sacrificed to idols. So who are these weak? Who are these people, these Christians, these weak in faith, who eat only vegetables and observe certain festive days? We don't really know. But we know Paul calls them weak in faith because they have a lack of knowledge and understanding concerning God's truth and the practical application of the truth. The practical application of the truth. That is why they are weak in faith. The weak in faith's problem is ignorance. They don't know, but they seek to honor the Lord. We read that, right? They seek to honor the Lord and please the Lord and give thanks to the Lord while they eat vegetables and observe, observe festive days. It's important to note here that the weak in faith do these things because of religious convictions. Their conscience. Their conscience. What's the warning to the weak? What's the warning to the weak? Chapter two, or verse 2, chapter 14. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. God has welcomed the strong person. So the one who is weak, beware, be forewarned, do not pass judgment or don't condemn the one who has the freedom and liberty in Christ to eat. It's easy for a new convert, a new Christian, to be welcomed into the fold of God, into a fellowship. 
And they come in with certain baggage, certain sins that they had in their past and they wanted to get rid of. But they did so in excess. Let's say drinking alcohol. Maybe they were an alcoholic and they came to faith in Christ and all of a sudden they decided that alcohol is now bad and wrong and no one should practice it. And those who practice it, I'll pass judgment upon. They come to believe the gospel, but their conscience is not conformed to the truth of God's word because they are weak in faith. They are yet growing up. Not conformed to the word of God because of the lack of knowledge of the gospel. Seasoned Christians, Christians who have grown up in the church can still <laughs> fall into this. Denominations are even made up of this at times. Paul warns the weak Christians that they are becoming dangerously close to works righteousness if they condemn a brother or sister in the Lord who has no problems, no scruples with eating and drinking and not observing festive days. If you pass judgment or condemn a brother or sister because they do not abstain from meat and drink and do not observe festive days, then you're saying that works are prerequisites to be justified and saved. Or you're making condemning, judgmental remarks or decisions concerning a brother and sister who has been welcomed by the Lord himself. And so the application here, friends, is that the weak in faith not ought to bind people's consciences with commandments of men. Don't make binding laws that don't exist in God's word. No laws exist in God's book that prescribes abstinence from food, drink, and the like. And one commentator, listen to what one commentator writes. He says the weak in faith are the ones who actually become tyrants in the church. It's interesting, isn't it? The weak in faith are the ones that actually become tyrants in the church because they start passing judgment upon people who know their liberty and freedom in Christ and be begin to create division and disunity in the church. And then all of a sudden the gospel is no longer to be found in the church. That's the weak, the weak in faith. They have a weak conscience in the sense that they, because of religious convictions, believe the importance of abstaining from things that are matters of indifference. Matters of indifference 
but what's not a matter of indifference is one's religious conviction and conscience. It's not about the food. It's about what you think about the food and how you eat the food. That's where the matter is. It's about your conscience. Do you do it in faith? Secondly, the wel- welcome the strong in faith. Who are the strong? Why are they strong in faith? The strong in faith have their conscience gripped by the word of God and their Christian living is conformed to their conscience. For example, in the Gospels, the strong know that Jesus declared that all foods are clean, that the dietary laws are gone, no longer to be observed, that Christ came to be the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, including the ceremonial laws, the dietary laws. Even at chapter 14, ver- chapter 14 verse 14, look with me in your Bible, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Paul knows as a strong one in faith that nothing is unclean in itself, but for the weak brother it is unclean. The strong in faith eat and drink to the glory of God. They know and are convinced that Christ has set them free from the laws of the Old Testament and man-made rules and regulations that are established in churches. They know this because they know that Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of our faith. In Him and through faith in Him, we are forgiven and free. By His Spirit and Word, He transforms people. Food and drink does not transform people. Dietary restrictions and festive days do not add a single thing to the Christian's spiritual life because Jesus is the object of their faith. When we're talking about dietary laws, we're not talking about for one's physical well-being. We're talking about spiritual well-being. The strong's religious conviction is conformed more to the word of God If food and drink or festive days or years or any religious practice adds anything to our justification before God, then it reduces the gospel to works righteousness. And the very fact that the strong can say that I'm justified by faith, by God's grace, and that I'm free from the tyranny of the devil and set free from the curse of the law, I have liberty now to eat and drink to the glory of God. That's who the strong are. That's why they're strong in faith. And by the way, these days, these festive days, most interpreters and I agree that we're not referring to the Lord's Day. Remember, we're obligated to the moral law of God. The Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath day is still in effect. When we talk about days, esteem one day more than another. We're talking about festive days, days in the calendar that people hold dear. And we have those days in the Christian church too. Where some hold some days more than others. Paul says the strong has the freedom to 
see a day as more important than another. For what is a day? I'm in Christ. I have freedom in Christ. So we don't believe that he's referring to the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. For that's part of the moral law to which we're morally obligated. Paul's talking about those things that hinder a person from Christ and the substance of our faith. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. These are a shadow to come. Also Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, if you're taking notes. But Paul has a warning to the strong too. He warns the strong. He says, let not, uh, verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. That is, don't show contempt towards the one who abstains. Do not reduce him to nothing. Don't shame him. Don't belittle him. He may be young in faith. He's still growing in the Lord. Don't look down on him or treat him as a second-class Christian. Welcome him. Paul warns the strong in faith, welcome the weak. Because they too are justified by grace through faith in Christ. Don't use your strong faith and conscience, which is a gift from God, to be arrogant and prideful. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love what? Edifies. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And the strong in faith would do well to love the weak in faith. Not saying, my faith is better than you. You need to learn from me. The strong in faith must bear with the weak. Look to me at chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each, one of, each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For God did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now listen carefully. The weak in faith not ought to remain weak in faith and weak in conscience. They are to grow up. But how is that done? How does the strong in faith come alongside the weak in faith? And that is through Christian discipleship. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes great care. By God's grace, the weak become strong through discipleship and the means of grace, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. Even the sacraments teach that Christ is all. He's the sum and substance of our faith. Food and drink are nothing. <laughs> They're gifts from God, but they add nothing to one's spiritual well-being. Eat all the cauliflower-crusted pizza you want. It's not going to do anything to your spiritual soul. Make it into mashed potatoes. I don't care. I mean, if you want to do it for physical dietary reasons, go for it. 
but for your spiritual well-being. Eat and drink to the glory of God. I actually like cauliflower mashed or whatever they are. <laughs> They're not bad. With a lot of butter, of course. Paul insists that we don't use our freedom in a way that causes the weak Christian to stumble. To be a stumbling block. I have to move on, but I'll pick up on it next week. Lastly, welcome one another because the weak and strong belong to Christ. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In other words, Jesus is master and Lord of the weak and the strong. They are his servants. Don't treat the Lord's servant as a second-class servant or citizen. We all belong to him by his grace and mercy. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. For this end, Christ died and lived again. He died and rose again to save both weak and strong so that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living, master of the dead and the living, because he has earned that title of Lord. Both the weak and the strong will bow in the Lord's presence, verses 10 to 11 of chapter 14. They will bow in the Lord's presence and they will be judged by the same Lord. Both the weak and the strong will be judged by the same Lord. And God has given his son authority to judge all peoples and he will judge all peoples. And it will begin with the household of God. Both the strong and the weak will be judged. Congregation, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of reconciliation between God and man through one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is also a gospel of reconciliation between one another. Seeing one another and viewing one another the way that God sees us in Christ. With all of our quirks, with all of our gifts and talents, with all of our shortcomings and weaknesses. Welcome, accept one another because we have been bought body and soul and life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, we have been united to him and united to one another. And that's what we celebrate too in the Lord's Supper. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see, each Christian has a conscience and each conscience must be gripped by the truth of the word of God and the knowledge of God and the wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are in different stages of life, in our spiritual life. And so let us be patient with one another. Let us bear with one another. Let us welcome one another. For indeed, Christ has welcomed us. Christ has been patient with us. Christ bears with us. Christ forgives us. And so how you view one another, view one another the way Christ views you and loves you and bears with you and has patience with you. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we come before you and are thankful for your sovereign mercies towards us. That by your grace you have welcomed us. You have accepted us into your family through the shed blood of Jesus and by his glorious resurrection. He is our Lord, our Master. And help us to love one another by welcoming and accepting one another in the name of the Lord. Help us to bear and be patient with one another in all our weaknesses and shortcomings and failures. And help us, most of all, Lord, to see the gospel of Jesus Christ for what it really is, that Jesus is the sum and substance of our faith. And through him and him alone, we have freedom. Freedom to live our lives, to enjoy your blessed gifts to us and to do so with gratitude in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.